Hello, welcome to my podcast. Um, I'm sorry I've not been around and, I, you know, just life takes over and all that stuff. I think, um, to be honest, I think I've had a, a bit of a, what do I call it? I don't know, I lost my mojo. Uh, I, I sort of like, I don't know, I just didn't know what to do videos about, what to do podcasts about. I lost totally everything. Like, you know, I had no enthusiasm at all. I've been going through this a little bit and I don't know why, but, um, yeah, there, that's, that's that. So, you know, apologies and everything. I didn't actually mean to not, not be around and yeah. Anyway, I'm back now and we're going to just crack on today. And I've decided to read some stories from a book that I've bought, um, called Ghosts and the Paranormal and these stories come from all around the world and they're like from famous places from like you know Amityville and you know all of them sort of different places um so yeah I just thought they'd be really interesting to read I mean there's loads in this book so obviously I'm not going to read it all in one day but I, I I will you know read some today of course so, um, yeah, so I think, you know, we just should just crack on, shouldn't we? Because otherwise I'm just going to be waffling on like I do and nobody wants to see that. So, yeah, let's get on with it. So um, the first story is is uh, 50 Berkeley Square, London, UK. Um, Berkeley Square in London Mayfair is one of the capital's smartest addresses. Yet one of the houses in this beautiful square has an uninvade... Un- un- oh unenviable I couldn't read it then I'm like duh reputation of being the most haunted house in London in the early 19th century 50 Berkeley Square was one home to one of the British Prime Ministers George Canning later in the mid 19th century Mr Myers moved in and happily prepared the house to receive his bride after their wedding but she jilted him at the last minute Heartbroken, Myers retreated to the top floor of the house where he lived of a recluse in a tiny attic room. He never went out and only opened the front door to receive food from one servant. At night, however, he wandered the house with a single candle. Passers-by in the street were terrified to see the pale light flickering through the decaying mansion. And so the stories began. A popular magazine, Mayfair, wrote about this scary place. If there be physiognomy, Nominee, oh, I can't say that word, in bricks and mortar, one would say that house has seen murder done. A valuable house left seeming to decay with windows caked and blackened by dust, full of silence and emptiness. After Myers died, the terrifying stories about the house began to multiply. A Lord Lytton offered to spend the night uh, no, in the supposedly haunted attic room with two hunting guns. On seeing the ghostly apparition, he fired one of them, but in the morning, only a bullet hole remained. A man then moved in with his two daughters. When the fiancé of one of the girls, Captain Kentfield, was coming to stay, a maid went to prepare his attic room. Her terrified screams rang through the house, and she was found muttering, don't let it touch me. The stricken maid had never recovered and died the next day. Oh my God, that's ripping awful. Foolishly, Captain Kentfield offered to spend the night there anyway. Whatever lurked in the attic was not about to leave. He too filled the house with his terrible screams and was found dead on the floor in the next morning, his face contorted in a grimace of horror. 
So what was this ghost? So far, no one had lived to describe it. Was it Myers? Some later sightings said that it was a sobbing child, tortured to death in their nursery. Oh, that's horrible. Others described the ghost of a woman hanging from the top floor window before she fell to her death, fleeing from an abusive uncle. In the 1880s, two sailors broke into the empty house to sleep. By morning, one was dead and the other had fled in horror. For the most of the 20th century, the ground floor was occupied by an antique bookseller, Mags Brothers. Staff claimed to hear strange noises upstairs, but they never dared to go and look. A police notice on the ground floor strictly forbids anyone from venturing upstairs for any reason whatsoever. Wow, that's something, isn't it? I mean, I've heard of some ghost stories, but I mean, people actually dying from seeing whatever it was they, they'd seen, that's, that's something in itself, isn't it? I mean, wow, wasn't expecting that. I mean, what do you think of that? That was a good story. But I mean, the thing about these ones is these are all like, supposedly true stories about haunted places and locations all around the world so you know it's well you know and they're all some of them are places that we've all heard of and like this next one I suppose like Amityville we've all heard of Amityville we've probably all watched the film you know we've all like if you live in America you've probably driven past the house and all of that stuff I mean there's so much to be said for a lot of these stories. So this, obviously, this next one is about Amityville in Long Island in USA. So it says it may be a private home, but this house at 112 Ocean Avenue, Amityville, Long Island in New York, has been very much a place in the public eye for more than 40 years. It's the same for one of the scariest stories of haunting and horror that the US has ever seen. On the 13th of November, 1974... Oh, wow, that's my birthday, 13th of November. <laughs> this large um, star residence was home to the DeFeo family. It was called, ironically, High Hopes. On that terrible day, Ronald, Ronald DeFeo Jr. shot dead his parents and four siblings in a massacre that shocked the nation. He was soon jailed and the house was sold. Understandably, no buyer came forwards for a while until in December 1975. George and Kathy Lutz and their three children moved in. Now, this is where we, the people we know, because obviously this is the the film and, you know, they're in the film and all of that. So, yeah. Okay, so no sooner had they crossed the threshold than the most bizarre and terrifying things started happening. For the next 28 days, the Lutz family was subject to subjected to the most horrific ordeal by a series of unseen forces. First, it was a plague of flies that young Daniel Lutz found in his playroom. He swatted as many as he could and he ran screaming for his mother help for help. But on their return to the room, every single fly had disappeared. Weird. Then objects began flying across the rooms and children would wake up sleeping on their stomachs in the poses of the dead defaith. Oh, that's awful, isn't it? Imagine that. That is horrible. Kathy suffered strange injuries and nightmarish visions of the murders, even, which even told her exactly where each one had taken place. George would wake repeatedly at 3.15am, although he did not know it, this was precisely the hour of the gruesome murders. 
One night, George went to the bottom of the garden to investigate a noise. Looking at, back at the house, he saw a chilling sight, a pair of blood-red eyes shining out of his young daughter Missy's bedroom window. Rushing back inside to her, he found her fast asleep, but she did later talk of her new friend, a pig-like creature whose eyes, she said, glowed red. Oh, God. Then there was a red room, the mysterious room in the basement that was not on the house plans, but that drove the Lutz dog completely wild with fear. Realising something was badly wrong, the family summoned a priest to carry out a blessing in the house. Only later did he confess that as he recited a prayer, he heard the words, will you stop and felt a slap on his hands. Okay. Finally, the Lutz family could stand it no longer and they fled the house and never returned. The story became a novel and then a hit movie, The Amateur Horror, in 1979. Many people have challenged their tale, suggesting it was a giant hoax cooked up for money, but George and Kathy insisted that it was genuine until their deaths many years later and they both passed a lie detector test. Wow. Okay, so obviously, like I say, that's a... a big story that we all um, know and have heard of um, but it's kind of like it's one of those that uh, because it's a film it's one of those that you kind of don't uh, massively associate as a real true story because it's they've made it into a film but obviously it is a true story and it is a proper house and everything else because it says also it says interesting fact 112 Ocean Avenue is now 108 Ocean, Ocean Avenue a previous owner asked the postal service to have it changed. Now, isn't that weird? I mean, I suppose you would, because you kind of like, I don't know. I just, I mean, thing is, it's so. I, I think personally, I think the house itself um, is stunning to look at because it's different, isn't it? The shape of it, and it's almost got eyes for windows and all of that stuff, you know. So it's, I, you know, I, I like it. I think it's like a fascinating type house. I'd live there. I mean, I think it'd be scariest bugger but i think it would be interesting place to live um yeah so what do you think of that did you enjoy that one i enjoyed that one um next one we're going to go on to is uh borley rectory in essex in the uk now i again i've heard of the borley rectory um i've not not been there but i have heard about it and i've heard that it's it's very haunted um and it just like it's it's a got a long history and and stuff same as like all old buildings and whatever but um in the small village of Borley lies just on the Essex side of the East Essex Suffolk border um the rectory was built back in 1863 but centuries earlier there had been a monastery on that site and it was there that the troubles began 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 one of the monks is said to have fallen in love with a nun from the local nunnery they planned to run away, abandoning their religious vows, but they were caught. The penalty for their love was death, and a grim one at that. Oh dear. The monk was hanged in the monastery, while the nun was sealed up alive in its walls. Oh my goodness, wow. Wow. In the 19th century, she was seen many times walking desperately through the grounds of the rectory, searching for her lover. Oh, that's horrible, isn't it? Can you imagine that? Being, like, sealed up alive in the walls of a... a, a well, anywhere, <laughs> to be quite fucking honest. That's horrible. That's really flipping horrible. Um, 
because I suppose in the rectory as well, it's, you know, it's like a part of a church and everything. So I can you imagine you, you wouldn't... There's only going to be people there at certain times, isn't there? So nobody's going to hear you. But that's horrible. Um, the spectral uh, appearances became much more threatening after the death of the first rector, Reverend Harry Ball. His children fled the house after seeing a ghostly horse-drawn carriage chasing the nun across the garden. But for the Reverend Eric Smith, who moved in, moved in next, he would, there was worse to come. Oh dear, poor man. In 1928, he contacted the national newspaper to report mysterious footsteps, doorbells ringing of their own accord and other unexplained sounds. The newspaper sent in Harry Price, a paranormal investigator. On this very first night, he saw a spectral figure in the garden. And then suddenly a pane of glass crashed out the porch window and smashed to the ground. Wow. As he went inside, a red vase from an upstairs window flew past him um, down the stairs and smashed into the hall. Oh, wow. Reverend Smith tried to exercise the, exorcise the property, but the unique, no, the unquiet spirits refused to leave. So he and his wife eventually left the house for good. So these spirits are not going nowhere. They're like, no, no, we live here, you get out. And then I think a lot of spirits would be like that, wouldn't they? I, I'd probably be like that if I was a spirit, to be fair. The Foisters were the next inhabitants. They suffered five years of the same violent torment. One terrible night, Mrs Foister was even thrown out of her bed by an unseen force. Well, that would be terrifying, wouldn't it? Like you're asleep and all of a sudden something is chucking you across the room out of your bed. That would be terrifying. When they could stand no more, they left. Harry Price moved back in. In 1938, he held a seance to contact the spirit. Oh, dear. A message tapped on the walls said that the house would burn to the ground that night. Next morning, the rectory still stood, but a year later, the lamp overturned and a devastating fire destroyed the whole house. Wow, so his spirit, the spirit he contacted was, was right. He didn't do it that night, but that was obviously just to scare him. I don't know. Wow. Okay, so interesting fact, during the fire that finally destroyed destroyed Borley Rectory, an onlooker saw a face of a nun gazing from window. Ooh, okay. Okay, yeah, that's a bit spooky, ain't it? Yeah, you know, <laughs> you go past these places and you don't expect to see nuns staring out the window when it's burned to the ground. So, yeah. Oh, okay. So, I mean, obviously that was the nun that was in the walls, buried in the walls alive. But even still, Wow. I think it's just fascinating that, you know, obviously when you cross over to the other side, um, I, I obviously I don't think that you just cross over and that's it, you're gone. I think like some spirits can become not trapped, but they don't want or aren't ready to leave. Perhaps they don't know they're dead yet. Um, you know, that I just it's hard to explain, isn't it? But I think if they're still stuck on this side for whatever reason they are stuck there because of for what reason they believe they're there for like I say if they don't know that they've died or you know they they've sort of unfinished business or if it's something horrific that happened to them I think that's another reason why spirits don't always seem to cross over I think I mean that's just my personal opinion obviously I'm not an expert in this field or anything I'm just it's just my opinion but I, I do that I do think that's um 
very what happens in, in most places when it's something tragic anyway. Um, what do you think? Tell me, in the, give me some comments about what you think, either in the comments below on the podcast or you can email me. I'll put my email and link and everything down below. And Or you can contact me on any of my socials and tell me what you think. Tell me what you think of the stories and tell me what you think happens after death. I mean, are they tortured souls? Are they, you know, what what do you reckon? So, yeah, that's what I want to know. I mean, I'm... I'm interested to hear from you and hear what you've got to say about it as well because I, I find that fascinating because obviously one thing I want to do on this podcast at some point is to get guests on and discuss this all this type of thing with, with guests because I find it fascinating. It's something I could sit and waffle on about for ages with someone. You know, it's different when you're on your own, you're just sort of talking about it. But if I've got someone to talk to and chat to about it with, I've you know, there's... It's, it's more, isn't it? You've got more feedback and all of that sort of stuff and having an actual conversation, an actual um, discussion about it. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely will be getting in some guests. So if you're interested in being a guest over on Pornorable Trails, then do get in touch with me and, you know, come and share me your, your stories with me and stuff because I really love that. It'd be brilliant. Anyway, I'm waffling again. Um, next story is from Australia. And this one is Monte Cristo homestead in australia um so stories of hauntings and horror to be found on all corners of the world which we know in new south wales australia one house in the town of june has a very dark history indeed so dark that it's widely accepted as the most haunted house in australia one that is chilled even the most hardened of ghost hunters june is a small town not at all out of the ordinary, except that one of its homes, Monte Cristo, um, has some terrible tales to tell, including murder, torture and suicide. Sounds like a nice house, doesn't it? <laughs> the elegant two-storey house built in 1884 looks from the outside like a dream home. Yet ever since its first residence, the Crawley family moved in. One tragedy has followed another. First, a young baby daughter died after being dropped by a nanny down the stairs. Oh, that's sad. Uh, this is no ordinary accident. The nanny claimed that an unseen force pushed the baby out of her arms. Oh. Today, young children visiting the house often become very agitated and scared around the staircase, as if a dying child is reaching out to them. Now, that is terrifying, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I've got a picture. Um, there's a picture on, on in the book, and... I'll be honest, it doesn't look like my dream home. Uh, <laughs> it looks a bit creepy, I'll be honest with you. It does look like a creepy house. So, yeah, anyway, so um, as if that wasn't tragic enough, when one of the Crawley's maids became pregnant, she was so desperate that she jumped to her death from the balcony that runs along the front of the house. Oh, that's, again, that's horrible. She's pregnant. Uh, a ghostly apparition of a young woman in the 19th century clothes has often been seen gliding along this balcony. And although the bloodstained steps below have been scrubbed over and over again, the stain cannot be removed. The third ghostly figure to appear at the Monte Cristo is that of a young boy, a stable hand named Morris. He would sleep in the stables, but one day he was too ill to get out for work. Believing he was faking his illness, his boss set fire to his bedding. Oh, my God. I mean, I know there's things like giving him a little shake, chuck a bucket of water over him, setting fire to his bedding. 
I mean, Jesus Christ. So Paul Morris wasn't faking it and he couldn't get up. He was burned alive where he lay. The ghost of this tormented soul has been often been seen by the coach house. Well, goodness, that is so, so sad. I bet, well, I hope that his boss um, felt frigging awful after that because that is terrible. What a horrible thing to do. Mrs Crawley died in the house in 1933. She too is often seen patrolling her old home. She seems to take against some of the guests who visit the house and makes her feelings known. Chillingly, she's been known to order people out of the dining room or the chapel and after her her appearance, they were all too ready to leave. The Ryan family moved in in 1963 and they live there still. They're brave people then. Mr Ryan is surprisingly comfortable with his home's extra guests and opens Monte Cristo to visitors. They are invited to spend the night in the house, but most do not last the night. Feelings of misery and dread overwhelm them. They hear footsteps, see visions, and they flee the place of tormented souls. Wow. Okay, so the Ryan family live there and they get visitors to come and stay and stuff. I I mean, I suppose it's a big... um, What's the word? It's It's a... well, it's almost like he could perhaps he could make money out of. I don't know if they say charge to go and stay there, but they could make money out of that, couldn't they? Because you know, if you had a haunted house, that's everyone that's into the paranormal is going to be fascinated by that house. So, if they get the chance to stay there, paranormal investigators and people like that, you know, especially these days, YouTubers and you know other people that go along and investigate different things, that would be a perfect opportunity for him to put his house out there make it more famous i suppose so yeah i can see what he's reasoning this but i mean he's he's brave for him and his family staying there after all of that i don't think i'd like um to feel that a a dead child was reaching out to me to be quite honest because that'd be a bit scary anyway we'll move on um the next story is is house of death in it's based in new york okay so New York is a dynamic, fast-paced city, not the kind of place that you associate with hornies in the paranormal. Yet, in this city that never sleeps, it seems the spirits of some and its of its past residents cannot find rest. Okay. The house at 14 West 10th Street is the last unresting place of the extraordinary. Okay, can I stop there for a second? Now, America confuses me. Because this is addressed, 14 West 10th Street. How many numbers do you need in your in your addresses? Why have you got 10th Street and what? Okay, we have names for our streets around here. Um, we don't have numbers, we have names. And I just find it weird. <laughs> I don't know, it just confuses me. So if I ever went to America, I'd be confused as bugger because I'd be walking around and thinking, oh my God, where are, where am I? Oh, this is 10th Avenue and this is 12th Avenue and whatever. Okay. Anyway, I'm, I'm digressing, I'm waffling again. So I'll just get back to the story and yeah. You can tell I'm British and I'm not uh, an American because these sort of things really, really um, confuse me. Anyway. So uh, apparently there's uh, 22 ghosts in this house. So it's known as the house of death. 
which sounds lovely, doesn't it? Um, it's a classic, it, uh, classic New York brownstone built in the 1850s in Lower Manhattan. It was home to many of the city's elite until the 1900. A novelist moved in called Samuel Clemens. He was better known by his writing name, Mark Twain. Now I've heard of Mark Twain. Although he only stayed for a year, he certainly left his mark on the house. His restless spirit has been seen wandering through the first floor in a white suit. In the 1930s, a mother and daughter said they saw him sitting in a, by a window where he told them, My name is Clemens and I have a problem here. I got to settle before he vanished into thin air. Well, that'd be weird, wouldn't it? There are more unsettled spirits here. Ghost hunters and investigators galore have visited the house and, and many have seen the presence of the ghostly lady in white as well as a grey cat. Who knows what sorrowful stories these spirits would have to tell if they could speak to us. Sadly, we know too well the story behind the ghost of a young girl that haunts the creepy house. The house was converted into apartments in the 1930s and in 1987, a lawyer named Joe Steinberg was living in one of them on the second floor. With him was his six-year-old illegally adopted daughter, Lisa, and a baby. Okay. One November night, a police received a call from the apartment about the child who was not breathing. When they woke, broke in, they found Lisa unconscious and the baby covered in filth and chained to a playpen. Ooh. The baby survived a terrible treatment, but Lisa tragically died. Joel Sternberg was imprisoned, but it seems poor Lisa has never been able to leave the scene of the crime. Wow. So he illegally adopted Lisa and a baby. I don't know if it's her baby. A baby. And obviously he was treating them really awfully in, in the sense that... I mean, why would anybody chain a baby to a playpen? Okay, okay, that's just like, whoa, it's way out there for me. That's way out there. That's just so strange. So strange. But anyway, I have heard of Mark Twain, um, the the writer, American writer. I've heard of him. So if you live in New York or when you go to New York, go and visit the House of Death and you might see Mark Twain sitting around in his white suit. Who knows? Who knows indeed? Right, well, I've got... Um, Loads and loads and loads of stories I can read to you, but I mean, I don't want to go on and on and on and on, but I'm going to read one more and then I think I'm going to leave it until the next podcast. I'm going to catch up and all do is do some more. And, and in the meantime, like I say, I'm going to do, um, I, I am going to get back to my YouTube, so I'm going to try and do a video today as well, which is why I'm going to try and fit it all in. So, you know, but anyway, next story I'm going to go on with is called Hinton Ampner in the UK. It's a classic English manor house in Hampshire um, and it's ta today it's looked after by the National Trust. Okay, so on summer afternoons the house and its beautiful gardens are full of carefree visitors. However, just 50 metres, which is 165 foot away, buried beneath the lawns lies the remains of another manor house. Now that is weird in itself, isn't it? Um... The original Tudor house was not a happy place. It dates from the 16th century and for hundreds of years it was the scene of a succession of terrifying hauntings with slamming doors, raised voices, rustle of silk clothing and heavy footsteps in the night. 
This was all too much for his petrified residence and eventually the house was demolished in 1793. The haunting of the place is considered one of the most greatest English ghost stories and some think it was the tales from the Hinton Ampner that inspired the great novelist Henry James to write his terrifying story The Turn of the Screw in 1898. I haven't read that but I really need to read that. Uh, but what exactly happened at Hinton Ampner to cause so much spiritual chaos? In the mid-18th century, the master of the house was Edward Lord Starwell. He was an evil liver, a bad sort whose cruelty affected all around him. His wife, Mary, died in 1740, but not before Edward had taken up with her beautiful younger sister, Honora, Honoria. On yeah, Honoria. Oh, I can't say it. <laughs> it's one of them names I can't say. Honoria. I don't know. Local said that the pair had a child together, but the infant disappeared soon after it was born. Okay. Honoria died in seventeen fifty four, and a year later, Lord Staywell uh, died mysteriously in the parlour of the house. Wow. Sightings began of a gentlemanly figure, plainly dressed, just as Lord Staywell had been, standing in the moonlight beside the house. Strange sounds echoed around the house and few servants um, could, hear, could bear to stay for more than a few days or weeks. In 1764, a new family moved in, the Ricketts. No sooner they'd right, arrived and the hauntings multiplied, with doors slamming and footsteps echoing through the house. One night, when her husband was away, Mrs Ricketts heard a man's footsteps approach her in bed in the dark. Oh, and a high-pitched female voice in murmured conversation with two men. Oh, okay, right. When she heard something heavy fall over in the next room, she became truly frightened and summoned her brother and a friend to investigate. As they settled down with pistols to watch and wait, a series of terrible groans came from upstairs and one man felt something flip past him. They went to search, but they found nothing. Terrified at their wits, they declared the house was unfit for human habitation. Mary was a rational woman, but she couldn't bear it no longer. Then the rickets moved out. So, I mean, this house, I mean, the picture is a picture of the previous house that used to stand... Uh, where the lawns of Hinton Ampner are today. And it's just like the picture is, it reminds me of like a big sort of fancy hotel, if you like, you know, um, and it looks spooky. Grand and beautiful, but spooky. So, but it says when the original manor house was de demolished in 1793, workmen found the remains of a baby buried under the floor. Now, that is horrible. And that must be, um, what was his name, Lord Starwell and Honoria, their child, because the, the infant disappeared soon after it's born. So, wow. Okay, so that's that's quite fascinating, isn't it? Um I don't know, I've not heard of, of this place. I mean, it's in Hampshire and I don't live close to Hampshire. But if I go to Hampshire, I might go and see if I can visit it. It's looked after by the National Trust now. So it's obviously somewhere you can go and look around or maybe stay. I don't know. But um, yeah, I mean, God, that, that was... Um, I think it's because of these 
um, the hauntings and stuff, you know, with the slamming doors and footsteps and then the man's um, man coming up to her in, in bed and talk, the high-pitched female voice talking in conversation with two men, that would be, like, quite sort of terrifying in itself, wouldn't it? Just hearing them things, let alone seeing anything. That would be terrifying in itself. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, that's um, that's all for today. Today's reading session is over. Um, <laughs> I really enjoyed that, though, because really, this book is really good. I've actually looked at loads of the stories in it, and it's really good. It's a really good book, because they're literally, the stories are literally literally things for the um, famous and that have happened um sort of centuries ago and stuff and i think that's more fascinating than a lot of things you see these days um you know people saying their houses are haunted and and i just feel like sometimes it's a little bit really you know when you see uh tiktoks and things especially tiktok um you see these bloody videos on TikTok and these people, and it's so clear to me that um, they're set up. I know it's probably clear to a lot of people, but some people it's literally not because you see in some of the comments on on these videos and stuff of how oh my god you must be terrified and all this stuff and you think mm, okay I don't believe it um, and I'm not having it. It's complete flipping lies. So yeah. Oh, anyway, I'm waffling again. Anyway, but yeah, that's all for today, I think. Um, like I said, I'm waffling on and I'm going to go and do a YouTube video now. Um, but I'll be back again very soon with another instalment of some scary ghost stories. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, I hope you have a good rest of your week and I will speak to you again very, very soon. Don't forget, leave you, you know, leave me your thoughts tell me what you think in my socials on my email whatever just get in contact i'd really love to hear from you anyway speak to you soon and take care of yourselves see you later ah!